Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to a very special episode, the most ambitious crossover since Mario and Luigi were in NBA Street on the GameCube. Uh, I don't know what we're calling this, but I'm calling it Affected Pebbles by Altitude Report. Uh, we've got the entire crews from the Affected by Altitude gang as well as our Pebble Report podcast gang. I'm your host, Skylar Timmons. And I've got an entire infield of homies. We've got Mac Wilcox. Hey, yo. Stoked to be here, man. This will be a fun one. We've got Evan Lang. What's up, y'all? How's it going? And our homies from the Pebble Report podcast, our lefty reliever, Justin Wick. <laughs> this is it, man. I, I'm trying to figure out. i got to have a, like a pearl of wisdom here. Like, I mean, i got to give you guys a juicy nugget, and i got nothing. I, was, I came unprepared. <laughs> it's all good. And finally, last but not least, our good buddy, Kenneth Weber. What's up, fellas? Happy to be here. This is awesome. Yeah, so uh, we figured with spring training underway, the season's just about to start, it'd be good to kind of get the five of us together and just talk shop, talk you know, what's going on with the Rockies, previewing spring training, what we're looking at, and also you know, different signings that the Rockies have done recently, and also what to look forward to, what minor leaguers may be making an impact this coming season. So we've got a ton to talk about here uh, in this episode. But first off, a little icebreaker. We haven't had one for a while because there's just been so much news. But this one's kind of encompassing of all of Major League Baseball. And I'll ask you guys, what signing in all of baseball right now has surprised you the most or the move that has surprised you the most? Pre or post lockout, and I'll kick it off with Mac. It's kind of recency bias, I'm sure, but to me, Carlos Correa going to the Twins is wild. 
because I'm I'm of the camp that I was like convinced he was heading back to Houston, right? Like made a lot of sense, all the history there, right? Talking about the World Series he's he's won there, and that he was part of that original crew of you know Astros that came up with your Jose Altuve's and your George Springer's and all them cats, and so I was like convinced he was heading back to Houston. The fact that he signed in Minnesota for a record deal, the most that an infielder's ever made in the history of the game over his deal, that's that's nutty to me. And then also I was very pleasantly surprised by the Chris Bryant deal, but we'll get to that here in just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that Twins we'll one that is funny. That Twins one is nuts. Uh, how about you, Justin? What, what's surprised you or or anything? Yeah, you know, I feel like I can second a lot of what Max said. I guess what really surprised me was the sake that I guess it's not a huge surprise that Freddie Freeman followed a place that really wanted him, but I think I was more surprised at the fact that Atlanta didn't put out any more of a fight to keep him. The understanding of they only really called him twice from what he made it sound like. So I hate to say that I'm surprised that he goes to the Dodgers for reasons that all of us Rockies fans can 100% relate for, but... You know, it's not unheard of to see these World Series champions that are eventually taking new positions like Albert Pujols leaving St. Louis and Dexter Fowler leaving Chicago. It's, again, nothing necessarily new, but I would definitely like to think that was the statue contract that you were going to give. There was supposed to be the Freddie Freeman statue outside of that ballpark in Atlanta. And, you know, you that's, I feel like that should be somebody that you definitely secure, especially on the heels of a championship and given that he's as strong of a candidate as he is. So... I can't say that I'm too surprised that he's going to a place like the L.A. Dodgers now, but I'm a little bit more surprised that Atlanta didn't try to put up any more fight for him. Totally. Yeah, and I love that quote where they asked him about, no, did you see the Atlanta GM's tear, or like about his tears and everything? He's like, well, I saw him. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It, as Rockies fans, we can we can sympathize with our poor Braves fans and what they went through with there. How about you, Evan? What's been the surprising move for you? Uh, speaking of Rockies fans, for me, it's got to be the fact that Trevor Story is really the last man standing of unsigned major free agents for this free agency class, where it seems like all of the other big names have gone, but uh, Trevor Story still remains. And Carlos, so Carlos Correa went very late last night. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman, all the other trades, all the... Uh, Jorge Soler went this afternoon and here's Trevor's story. And still all we've got is rumors and teams asking, Oh, will he play second base? Will he play left field? Um, teams not wanting to put a very skilled defensive shortstop at shortstop. And just the added, um, pain, I guess of, uh, in Nick Groke's most recent article on the athletic about the Chris Bryant signing said that, the Rockies did indeed reach out to Trevor Story one last time before they pulled the trigger on Chris Bryant and said, hey man, we still want you back, and he said no. Can't blame him, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I definitely agree with that. The fact that Story's still out there is really interesting, and then you hear the stuff of you know, potential suitors for him. I just hope not the Giants. Oh, just swear. please not the Giants. Yeah, it's like the Red Sox want him to play second base. The Rangers want him to play left field. It's all an athlete. It's all really odd. But he's a he's a better defensive shortstop than Boston's gotten Xander Bogarts. 
So it's just so strange to me. It's a weird, <laughs> wacky world out there in free agency right now. <laughs> How about you, Kenneth? What what's been what's been surprising for you? Um, you know, I, I'm kind of torn uh, on my choice because I think there's basically one good and one bad. I mean, there's still a lot to talk about. You can talk about the Phillies just no longer believing in defense, and they're just gonna <laughs> just out hit their problems, which is fun. Um, but I think there's one that's a, a good dichotomy on, on how everything has gone. And even the time frames, um, are pre and post lockout. You have two middling teams basically in the, in the Rangers and the Reds, and they decided to go completely opposite directions from each other. One of them spends half a billion dollars on a new infield. And then the other one just tries to eliminate any payroll that they have whatsoever. And so, it's really strange to watch the Reds doing what they're doing because it's, it's you know, after 100 days of a lockout and all this, you know, oh, teams won't tank. We're doing these things to address issues. The Reds just burn it down to the ground right away. But before that, you know, the Rangers go out and say, we are just going to outspend our problems. And Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, really good players to do that, but is that enough for them? So that's two very interesting paths um, taken pre and post lockout by two kind of middle middle of the road teams. Mm. Yeah, it was it was on um I think it was on MLB network early or breaking down. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm breaking down. Uh it was on MLB network I think earlier tracking all of the money that the um NL Central specifically had, had spent it's the division that the Reds are in. The Cubs are leading the pack, uh, surprisingly, because it looked like they were burning it all down last year with uh, $194.1 million spent. They're the ones who landed Seiya Suzuki. Mm. And the Reds at the very, very, um, very, very back behind even the Pittsburgh Pirates, one of the most you know skinflint organizations in the league, the Reds have only spent $5.5 million this offseason while getting rid of basically every single one of their major talents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of the thing that stuck out to me is you see all these teams, but specifically what Ken said, just the Reds just deciding to blow it all up. Yep. You know, here's a team that made the playoffs in 2020 in the expanded. No, they were still in a good position. They had a lot of good players. 80 Jess wins Win- last year. Yeah. 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 They had Jess Winker. Jesse Winker, they sent him out to Seattle. Uh, they had the rookie of the year last year, and so they're just blowing everything up. And so it's just weird to see, especially in the wake of the lockout, the CBA, of we don't want teams tanking or this type of stuff, and here's what the Reds are doing. Shoot, so, 83 wins could get you a playoff spot this year. You know what I'm saying? Like 83 wins, and you're right in the playoffs now with the expanded uh, opportunities that they have now, you know? And there's some unsavory rumors that uh... – the Reds, you know, frontman owner Bob Castellini is like broke, oh. which is why he's selling off huge parts of the team. Unconfirmed, of course, but that's sort of been one of the ones floating around of just trying to find an explanation for why the Reds, after two pretty solid years, just completely blew it up and got rid of mm-hmm. every single one of their marquee talents. Eugenio Suarez, uh, Jesse Winker, Sonny Gray, just gone, gone, gone. Mm. I feel like the Diamondbacks were in a similar competitive position 
would it be three years ago before they traded Paul Goldschmidt? But they had to look up and see what the Dodgers were doing and see the Padres being on the rise. And the Rockies were just coming from back-to-back playoff appearances. And that's that's a very tough mountain that they knew they had to climb while also being on very unstable ground. And so they kind of mm-hmm. just they, – they, they bit the bullet and kind of tore it all apart but have really prospered in their farm system because of it. The Reds, the NL Central is not the the gauntlet. They don't have a Dodgers. You know, they have a couple of good teams, but there's nothing that was really creating this wide gap between the Reds and the Cardinals or the Brewers. And the Reds have some pretty immediate reinforcements coming when you talk about Hunter Green, if Nick Senzel kind of starts figuring it out. Like you mentioned, Jonathan India is the, the reigning rookie of the year. It's like there was a fine team there with near major league ready pieces to help reinforce that squad. And instead they just went as much guaranteed money out the door as they could not caring about competitiveness. So it's a real shame for Reds fans to, to kind of be in that position. It's a weird Rockies wacky fans have world. Been through it. Rockies fans yeah. have been through it, man. We could always be worse. It yeah, could always be worse. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we can feel that pain. Yep. Anyways, speaking of pain, <laughs> this one's caused a lot of people pain, but also a lot of joy for many folks. Uh, the Rock guys, the Rockies signed a major league free agent and a pretty good one at that. Uh, mm. We've all talked about it a little bit, but Chris Bryant, the Rockies have signed infield outfielder Chris Bryant, the former Cub, the former MVP, the former Rookie of the Year, and World Series champion. To a seven-year, $182 million contract, uh, primarily playing left field is what we're hearing from Bud Black. Uh, we've all kind of talked about it a little bit, but Evan hasn't quite been able to jump on a podcast yet. So I'll start with yeah. him. Uh, what's your thoughts on this move, uh, Evan, about Chris Bryant? Are you happy with it? Uh, does it worry you? Where, where are you sitting at it? So... <laughs> I I do really like the move. I think it's an incredibly reasonable deal for a really talented player who, you know, for what it's worth of him getting his bag or not, you know, wanted to be here. It sounds like we were really like his primary choice. He really endeared himself in his introductory press conference. At the same time, there's a lot of other different ways to view this signing because you've got all the all the ways you can look at it of it's a PR move of trying to regain fan goodwill after losing Arenado and Story. It's Bill Schmidt, uh, in my opinion, trying to at least build his team his way, um, despite the interference of owner Dick Monfort. And it's Dick Monfort, I think, sort of deluding himself into thinking, I did a thing, therefore we're going to win a World Series. Like, he's been out there making the rounds going like, oh, this feels so right. Oh, we're we're going to be contenders. And it's like, you signed one major free agent Dick and like the team is better. I will, I will definitely agree that the team is better with all of the moves that general manager Bill Schmidt has made this off season, but adding one big free agent does not all of a sudden make us world series contenders. I'd say it brings us maybe two or a little bit past where we were at last season. Yeah, it, it overall, I think that's a lot of consensus that we have here at, at Purple Row, especially. But Justin, 
what's been kind of your take on the whole signing with with Chris Bryant? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would echo a lot of what Evan says, and I think you hit the nail on the head with those kind of things. I think that, you know, there are so many perspectives that you have to be mindful of what people bring to the table. You can look at it, of course, as a player perspective of somebody's willing to come to Colorado, which is a big deal. You can look at it from the teammate perspective of, Chris Bryant already got his ring, and, you know, let's put it this way. If you end a 100-year World Series drought in Chicago, I don't know if any World Series ring is going to match that. I mean, no disrespect to Rockies fans, but that's a huge deal right there. So, assuming hopefully we'll get one in the next 100, that is. But anyways, I think to myself, and this is, I think, the more sizable take that I have on this is recognizing that It takes one person to bring people to the ballpark. And I think about, you know, when I was a kid, I, of course, developed the knowledge of these players, and it's certainly turned into the career and the profession that we all follow right now covering this game. But for the casual fan, and I'm talking about the ones that don't tune into this podcast, I'm talking about the ones that they happen to see there's a baseball game on, they live in Colorado, they may not know who Justin Lawrence or Robert Stevenson is. I mean, let's just call it how it is at this point. And... You know, you go to see the star, and who are the Rockies without the star? I think that we got a little bit of a taste of that when Nolan Arenado wasn't here. And, you know, our one all-star was Herman Marquez, who's only a guy that can pitch every five days. So I think there was a huge vacancy of people just didn't understand who the guy was that they were coming to see, whereas you know as a casual baseball fan in Colorado that you were going to see Nolan Arenado every night. So... My initial reaction, and I actually kind of hate myself for seeing this, because as soon as Chris Bryant was signed, it just seemed to me like that was the way that they were trying to cover their bases, and it seemed like a money-making move, which, you know, of course, now that I see through the light of it all, and I recognize that this is different. This is not another Nolan Arenado. This is somebody that willingly is coming to Denver with a World Series ring on his finger. That's definitely a cool move, but... You know, at the same time, I think that you really have to see this from so many different perspectives. And there is no good or bad way of breaking it down when you look at all of them combined. But, you know, that's the thing that it's it's so difficult because, you know, as a journalist, you want to be devi- you want to be decisive. You want to put together a great piece of content. But there's just too many angles to put this on. And you need to be really objective. And just to respect the art of journalism, you need to have such a overarching perspective on this. So that's my long-winded way of saying that, I guess nobody really knows at this point in time, but you know, it is definitely exciting time to be a Rockies fan. And at the very least, I do believe that, you know, Chris Bryant on our TVs is a lot better than him without it. So that's a pretty special thing right there. I think one thing you just mentioned, Justin, and I want to get Kenneth on this too, because I, because Scott and I have already talked about this to death, but, but just a quick side note that you mentioned was like the idea that a free agent of his caliber wants to be here, right? Like, what does that mean for the future? You know what I mean? Like, do other free agents look at that and they say, oh, wait, like, Chris Bryant wants to go there. He's getting paid pretty well. Like, maybe I want to go there, too. You know what I'm saying? And that's obviously I want to have Kevin get in on or Kev get in on this, too. But, like, that was just, like, the first thing I realized coming out of this whole thing was, like, I don't know, man. Like, is this the biggest free agent signing that they've had in their history? Is that, again, is it recency bias for me? Um, I don't know, because that, to me, was the biggest thing, more than even the talent he necessarily brings on the field, like just what it means for free agency opportunities in Colorado at all. You know what I mean? What do you think, Kenneth? I think, well, to your point, I don't, I don't think you're far off on the magnitude 
of Chris Bryant choosing the Rockies. And I think that the only other one in that class is Larry Walker. Larry Walker chose the Rockies because he played in the inaugural game as a mem- as a member of the Expos and was basically in the middle of a you know a, a college football frat party atmosphere and kind of fell in love with the idea of Colorado. And so that was one reason that he cited specifically choosing the Rockies was it was the experience for that inaugural game. I think that that helped the organization to legitimacy in a much younger uh, phase of the Rockies. Um, it didn't all work out, but there was the Blake street bombers that was really, yep. you know, formed as a part of that. Um, so I think, I think the Chris Bryant signing the Chris Bryant decision really could have similar trickle effects. It could make it a more appealing destination for other players to want to come to, to Colorado. If only mm. because it shifts the narrative away from somebody wanting out to somebody buying in. And just that little effect can kind of make a difference sure. uh, in, in Colorado being more attractive. In terms of a Rockies fan and viewing this, one, it's been so long. It's, 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 it's been a hibernation of sorts over the past couple of years for the Rockies where it's just bad news, bad relationships, really tough sledding. And so this is one that is something that you can genuinely feel excited about. It's very refreshing in that sense. I think it's very hard to buy any reasoning or rationale from um, the organization. I don't believe uh, a word Dick Modver says about anything anymore, really. And so for him to come out and talk about the missing piece for the elusive championship, that's all just blabber to me. But I think that this could actually work in spite of whatever – um, reasoning Monfort has, which personally I believe is too many people see that this team doesn't have a star. Our numbers are going to hurt. We got to get a star to replace Story. This fits really well in where the current roster sits. And as those back to back playoff teams slowly chip away more and more, the Zach Veens, the Drew Romos, maybe Benny Montgomery, mm. the next wave of pitching that's going to, to double A, Chris Bryant is going to be that bridge. It looked like Charlie Blackman kind of might be that guy, but an extension would be needed. Now Chris Bryant is the one who takes that piece. And when you talk about resume, dude's got a rookie of the year, an MVP, a World Series, four-time All-Star, has been to the postseason practically every year he's played. Like, it's somebody external. It's somebody who has won externally, and hopefully that can provide that type of leadership and that type of atmosphere to the organization moving forward. Well, and he said, like, he's never played on a losing team, and I don't want to start now. I mean, that's not nothing. You know what I mean? If if nothing else, he might just be saying, you know, what we wanted to hear him say, but, like, that's some pretty confident talk. I getting involved with the organization. Yeah. The the tough part is a lot of that is out of his control. Sure. Um, I feel like this year and next yep. year. Um, but I'm also understanding of that. I, I view this as really needing to pay off in years three, four, and five. For the Rockies, even if they're selling it as it will pay off in years one and two. And I just I think that enough is going to catch up with this team that they still need to to pay for uh, bad karma for the next year or two. And then it can kind of start fresh. And, and that's where it can make the most Dig sense. It. But 
it requires patience, and that's not something you say at a press conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's something that I think that a good point on this is when you sign a seven-year deal, you cannot measure the success of the deal in the first two or three years. Mm. Like, we are very much playing the long game with this, mm. and I think this is something that's going to be very challenging because – you know, we want to have the impression right away and we want to have that awareness going. This huge piece that we are paying for is paying off big time. But I think that's something that is kind of enamored, or at least it should be pretty much highly praised in the Rockies organization right now, is that the minor league system is very bottom heavy. As far as what we saw in Spokane and in Fresno this past year, they go to the championships of their respective leagues. And we saw a little bit of a tough season in Hartford. The AAA roster hasn't quite shaped up yet, but Chris Bryant is willing to play the long game with the expectation that someday he's going to be sharing the outfield with Zach Veen at this point. And mm. I think that's at least very cool to recognize. I think if we look back in the history of the Rockies and where the direction has gone, I remember back in 2010 with the passing of Kelly McGregor, I really felt like the dark ages of the Rockies in 2011 and 2012. It was... I'm not trying to say that Kelly McGregor had the master plan all to himself, but it seemed like it was an organization that really lacked the guidance that it needed. And then seeing that there was that kind of instability as far as, you know, the Arenado years and the Trevor Story years and the Tulowitzki years, it was a continual clashing with the front office. I felt like that was very much a direct reflection of what Kelly McGregor meant to the organization. So to see that now we're finally starting to shape away from this, and I'm starting to feel a little bit more optimistic, like this is the way the organization felt in 2009 when they had mm. the plan together and there was something that they were really piecing for. But at the same time, recognizing that it's going to take a couple of years to get there. You know, that 2007 and 2019, it wasn't like they just crafted it out of thin air and it took a little while after the inaugural playoff appearance for the Rockies to even get back there. So it's difficult because it's going to be very hard to be patient in this sense, but assuming that Chris Bryant continues to do what he was essentially brought here to do, if we get to the point where we're at year four and year five, I guess a good example of this is Barry Zito when he went to San Francisco. He did not contribute very well early on, and that's not to say that the Giants were struggling without him. You know, they end up winning three and five years, of course, but it was the back end of that contract where they really started to see the worth of him. I I hope we don't see a collapse of Zito proportions for Chris Bryant, of <laughs> yeah, course, yeah, yeah. but that's something that really stood out to me. And I think that if we recognize that, you know, this is a seven-year commitment, we're allowed to be a little bit patient for this, and recognizing that the best days of these seven-year contracts, I believe, are yet to come when we start seeing those big prospects come through. It's just, it's invigorating to realize that the Rockies seem to have a plan now. And assuming that they fulfill through this, I think that's something that we can all be pretty excited about. The Jason Worth contract kind of fits into mm. that boat for you as well. Um, there was really squat from the Nationals other than a Alfonso Soriano 40-40 season. And, like, we're playing in the Redskins stadium. That's all we got. And then Jason Worth signs, and but there's Harper on the way. There's Strasburg. We don't have Harper in Strasburg. That's a once-in-a-generation um, talent wave yep. coming through. But... The idea remains the same. And last thing I want to add is good on Chris Bryant for getting his deal. I mean, this was a big service time manipulation yes, thing. With yes, the Cubs. yes. This is a lot of success early, which a big shoulder injury kind of hampered his performance after a very fast start. He still maintained a very good player, but it could have been easy for him to you know, look four years after a 2016 MVP and now no longer have the mega deal on the table that he deserved. So 
I'm happy for Brian on just an individual level for, for getting this deal. This might be kind of too deep a question because I know it's really kind of like out there conjecture, but I want to hear from all y'all about this one, man. Um, we have a few ball players in here. How much expectation there's there, do you think, from the office and from Chris Bryant to kind of take on like a leadership role, right? Because y'all mentioned like this is a pretty bottom heavy organization as far as their prospects right now. We're, we're going to kind of wait this out. Like, what do you think the expectation from either side is that Bryant kind of helps lead these Zach Veens, right? And the guys like that to this next kind of wave of Rockies organizational, you know, status. Well, that's something he kind of mentioned in his press conference when he was introduced. The Rockies, he specifically mentioned Ben Zobris with the Cubs, how Ben Zobris was, the Cubs are coming up, all basically young guys, a young core, and the Cubs go out and get that veteran presence in Ben Zobris, who then you know, taught and led those guys. Eventually they get to a World Series, they break the curse, and I love that Chris Bryant kind of mentioned that in his press conference and other interviews that he had after is that he wants to be that veteran guy that that this young Rockies group can come to and, and talk to him and he can give that advice. So I, I think he's all for it, which is something I think the Rockies needed from somebody in that clubhouse. Yeah, I think it definitely is that not necessarily that there's an expectation or heavy expectation, but I think sort of both sides have that mutual understanding mm. of that sort of his role going forward. I think it was kind of his role towards his tail end of the, of his days on the, on the Cubs before he was traded over to the giants. But it really is that I think he signed here. And like, like you said, with, with his press conference, with the expectation of not only am I going to play and play well, but I'm also here to try and help the you know developing talent on this team play and play well. And I think it's really important, especially for a guy like Bryant. He really is, I think, a lot different from the veteran presences we've had in the locker room. Uh, a lot of the Rockies guys, you know, Nolan Arnato, Troy Tulowitzki, Trevor Story, they're the, the very much the hyper-competitive, you know, quiet, intense guys who are, are really, really pushing versus Bryant really does seem a lot more affable. Like more, he puts himself more on the level of his teammates, uh, despite his being more of a quote unquote superstar. And, you know, not, not to denigrate on, on Arenado or, or Tulo or, or story, but that's just a very different kind of clubhouse presence than this organization is used to where, you know, even, you know, Todd Helton, we all love Todd Helton, but he's not the I'm trying to think of the right way to say this is that he's not the like the affable charmer of the group uh, in terms of veteran presence. And and we saw Charlie Blackman try and take a step forward last season and be uh, bring himself more more down to earth with with the rest of the team and try and be a, a good leadership presence. But I think he needs help with that. And that's mm. where Chris Bryant comes in. You know, I do like bringing Blackman into this. And if that's somebody that I thought of in the early stages, I'm very happy for him realizing that, you know, Blackman was essentially making himself out to be a Rockies lifer after he signed a little bit of an extension a couple of months ago. 
And, you know, it's it's favorable to realize that he's not necessarily on an island out here as far as Blackman is concerned, realizing that now you actually have somebody else that can take a little bit of that load together. But I also think there's something to be said about, you know, when you step into a new clubhouse, you have a brand new set of 25 players that you may not have played substantial time at all with. I think that it's far-fetched to expect anybody of any kind of status to simply jump in and instantly be the leader. Like, this is this is difficult to just jump into a crowd of 25 people that you're just kind of standing back and realizing, where do I step in on this? So I think another perspective to see, I think it will be easier in a place like Colorado. And my point being, as we look at Trevor Story's impending free agency or ongoing free agency, depending on when you tune into this show, he may have actually signed somewhere, but... You know, call it, I know Boston's in the mix, or let's say I know some people signing with, if you underperform on a new contract in Boston or New York, you're going to be treated a lot differently than if you underperform in Colorado. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to bash Rockies fans or Red Sox fans or anybody for this, but it's a lot different if... If you're in the Bronx and you're signing a lot of money and you're not performing the way you want to, it's going to be an ovation that you don't necessarily want to hear. And that's not to say that it's going to be watered down. or I mean, it's still going to be unfavorable in Colorado, but I think that there's a degree of security being that the willingness to come into Colorado to be the guy where that isn't necessarily the stigma all the time. I don't mean to say that in a negative light, but at the same time, I think that it's a very welcoming environment and... In my humble opinion, I think that brings the best out of some players because they realize that they don't need to be the instant like light switch at a new team. So point being, Chris Bryant could have returned to Wrigley Field and he could have been the hero that he always was. He's taking a chance. He's putting himself out there into a new setting. But it seems like this is going to be, I don't want to say it's going to be a forgiving atmosphere, but I think it's going to be a little bit more welcoming for him. And given what I can at least garner from him, I don't mean to make a personality statement on his behalf, but I think that this could ultimately be the place that he really succeeds in. And given his willingness to come to rock, come to Colorado, I think that's a big contributing factor for why he actually signed this deal. Yeah, he, he could have gone yeah. anywhere. A lot of teams that are ready for an impact bat right now to make it to the playoffs. And I think he has that knowledge that, no, this team's getting competitive. It has the pieces. Maybe it takes a couple years, but as long as we're winning and getting ready, I think it's going to go a long way. Uh, one last question I wanted to ask here before we kind of take a quick break and move on to a lot of other stuff that the Rockies have done. But in terms of Chris Bryant being here for the next seven years now, and he can play all over the place, but primarily left field for now, we can presume. Uh, what does this mean for the Rockies' depth? Uh, what does it mean for some of these younger pieces that are coming up that may be getting ready for the big times? Where do they fit into the picture now in the wake of Chris Bryant? We all got to think about this one. This we all got to think about this one because there's a lot that goes into it, isn't there? Yeah. Well, there's. It, it's weird because um, I think that a lot of the lack of planning really catches up. And the, 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 the criticism of this whole signing that I have is this is an organization that has way mm. too many corner pieces already. And now you added someone that can slot into everybody's path some way, shape, or form. Um, so if I look at just the immediate, uh, I think it was tough to get Ryan Vallade on the field in the first place. And he is you know almost a carbon copy when it comes to position um, as Bryant. So that has an effect. I think, you know, since you just extended CJ Cron, you have guys like Colton Welker and Ella Harris Montero who 
kind of seem like they need to be at first base. Don't know if they can stick at third, and you're already grooming somebody like Michael Toglia to take that spot. The outfield has more immediate problems on the major league roster than the higher levels of the minors. So it's a problem for now, but not so much in the future. It adds depth, but this is the point just where the Rockies have too much depth. And so I hope that the silver lining of the whole thing is it forces them to make some hard decisions on some guys. And for better or for worse, they're too risk adverse as it is, and they need to do something about the situation. And so, you know, that's that's my two cents on the whole thing. Hopefully they do it. If they do nothing, it's just going to keep on being this big mess that they have to deal with, and I don't know how they will. Evan, I know you were saying, especially last night, how there's this major league glut outfield, and you thought they might be getting ready to move some cats. Well, it's, we just – we have such this – it really is – it's a glut. We have – eight outfielders on the roster uh, in Ryan Valade, Connor Joe, Garrett Hampson, Jonathan Daza, Rymel Tapia, uh, Charlie Blackman, Sam Hilliard, and now Chris Bryant. And two of those corner outfield positions right. are spoken for now. Charlie Blackman is going to be in right field, regardless of whether or not that is where he should be or needs to be. That is where he's going to be. And the Rockies have said that Bryant is going to be the majority left fielder. So that leaves us with six players all competing for either spot starts in the corner outfield or that starting center field role. And I'm, I'm just sitting here and I'm waiting. I'm seeing what the Rockies are going to do because they need to do something, whether it is, you know, trying to cash in on Yonatan Daza having a, a pretty strong season last year but what I unfortunately think is really his ceiling, or if they're going to, you know, try and trade Rymel Tapia because they've got more controllable pieces down the line than Tapia or something, but we just have, and, and you don't often say depth is a problem, but it is too much depth. It is too many outfielders. It is too many people all yeah. getting in each other's way and making it so that there's really no set path for a lot of different guys. And, it's something the Rockies are unfortunately kind of infamous for where they just are always log jammed somewhere. They're log jammed at middle infield. They're log jammed in the outfield. They're log jammed somewhere at pretty much all times. And right now, probably worse than I've ever seen it. They are so log jammed in the outfield that they need to actually do something about it before the season starts, in my opinion, but I'm not sure if they're actually going to or not. Yeah, that's definitely a problem that they're going to have to address. And we'll cover a little bit more about that center field role, Evan, uh, a little bit later. Uh, but overall, Chris Bryant signing, personally, I th I think it will be good for the Rockies. Uh, but the question that's still lingering in everybody's mind, and I'll ask you this real quick before we head to break, uh, just a one-word answer, short responses from you guys. Does Chris Bryant spend the entire seven years here in Colorado or – did the Rockies go through a fourth messy divorce in the span of like seven years? We'll start with Mac. Not a messy divorce, but he won't seven years here. It's not going to be as bad, but I don't think he's going to stay the whole time. Okay. What about you, Kenneth? Yes, because if the wheels fall off on the relationship, that contract could be an albatross that can't be moved. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, okay. Right. What do you think, Justin? And you said one word answer. I don't know if I can give yeah, that one right. word answer. Here. 
You know, I like Kenneth's response, and I guess what I will say is, if Charlie Blackman has made it this far, I feel like we're going to see Chris Bryant make it that far, too. I think he is going to finish it. Okay. What do you think, Evan? I'm going to say yes, but uh, his role is going to change drastically towards the end of it. Hmm. Uh, I think there is no way at, at the end of his contract at age 37, Chris Bryant is still going to be an everyday starter. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty much along the same lines for me. Uh, for me, I, I'm going to say yes until the deadline of that seventh year. Because just somehow it's just going to be like, hey, we just need to move this payroll and ship you off to get whatever prospects we can. He'll be like, okay, Dick, you do your thing. <laughs> you know? And that's uh, – the Reds are back, and they're finally Yeah, the buying. Reds are back. They're finally buying. Joey there Votto is, is yep. a robot now, and he's still drawing walks. Yeah, see, I was going to say he makes his triumphant return to the Cubs in, <laughs> yeah. in his age 37 season. His final year <laughs> of big league ball. Something like that. No, but it, it, that's going to be the question in everybody's mind. There's going to be the jokes, the speculation, uh, but I think overall it, it's better to be optimistic than not. Uh, yes. Yes. We got to hope for something in Colorado. <laughs> we got nothing else. <laughs> but True. we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more shortstop, what's happening there, some new pitchers that we've got on the Rockies, and plenty other what's happening in our good old spring training with our non-roster invitees and some of our minor leaguers. So stick around, and we'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to our big crossover episode with Affected by Altitude and the Pebble Report podcast. Uh, we're still here along with our non-roster invitees, Kenneth Weber and Justin Wick, our inside <laughs> jokes. but That was good. That, that was a good lead. <laughs> we, still, we still got a lot. That deserves a lot more credit than it got. <laughs> yeah, but we still got a lot to talk about. Still... It's unnatural. The Rockies did more than just one thing this offseason so far uh, into the spring training. But one of the big needs after the departure of Trevor's story, we knew they needed a shortstop. There was a lot of you know, discussion of what were they going to do? Were they going to convert Ryan McMahon into a shortstop? Were they going to move Brendan Rodgers over there? Uh, w- nobody really knew what they were going to do. What they finally decided to do was go for a veteran glove in Jose Iglesias, they signed him to a one-year deal, a $5 million contract, to take over the shortstop position kind of as a stopgap. Uh, what's kind of been your, your take on this? Uh, reactions when we first saw they were signing? Uh, is this good? Is it bad? Same with Chris Bryant. What does this mean for the Rockies? Let's start with Mac here. I know Evan's got something to say about this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go too long because I know – I know my man Evan's got some opinions on this. I don't hate this. Um, I think the question that I think a lot of people are going to go into the season having is like, is Jose Iglesias going to be a replacement for Trevor Story? And he's not. No disrespect to the guy. Obviously, I appreciate who he is. I think he is perfectly serviceable. I know his defensive metrics don't look great, especially the last like season or two. I think he's a better defender than how he's done the last couple seasons. I just remember his work with the Tigers, seeing some really solid defensive work on his end there. And I think his bat is ter- is totally serviceable, right? He's probably not going to be um, 
you know, the leading batting average um, hitter for the Rockies, but I think it's perfectly fine for what they're looking for. Um, and I think as well, and this might just be my own little sort of headcanon, but I think the deal for Iglesias looks better in the wake of the Bryant deal. Um, I can deal with getting a more or less replacement level shortstop with Jose Iglesias in the wake of getting the bigger fish, right? No disrespect, but the bigger fish in Chris Bryant. I'm okay with it. I, I think it's going to be fine. I think it's a stopgap for sure. A year or two until we really get some, you know, full work out of Elahiris Montaro or out of, you know, Brendan Rogers or whoever ends up being the shortstop of the future, whoever that might end up being. Um, so I'm apoplectic about it. I think it's fine. But I know Evan has some opinions on it, so I want to hear you talk about this, brother. So I'll preface it with, <laughs> I I legitimately like Jose Iglesias. He has, over the years, made some truly like jaw-dropping defensive plays. He he's, was known with the Tigers especially for you know, being a very acrobatic and exciting shortstop. And like you said, Matt, his bat is totally Where's serviceable. Where's the butt? Where's he the was, butt? He was fine last year. He he his bat even picked up um, when he was traded to the Boston Red Sox after the deadline last year, and he was he was really an asset to that team, making its big playoff push. But what really just worries me Where's the is butt? There how is. much his <laughs> defense absolutely cratered last year. Like, not just career worst, like alarmingly bad career worst. Negative 22 defensive run save. It's good for the worst in the league. Uh, And UZR of negative 6.1. Per baseball reference, a defensive war of negative 1.4. It just all came crashing down. I don't know if it's because of age or injury or what. He's 32 years old right now at time of signing. And it's definitely an outlier. Like his last couple seasons haven't been like as impressive defensively, but then things really just absolutely cratered when it came to the 2021 season. I think, however, for a veteran shortstop on a one-year bounce back deal, at $5 million that you could do a whole lot worse than Jose Iglesias, especially if he can sort of, you know, put things back together and be, you know, all at most, all we really need him to be is a serviceable stopgap until someone like Ezekiel Tovar Mm. is ready to go. So uh, the defense is going to be the big question. Kenneth, do you think it's going to, was 2021 just kind of an outlier or, is that kind of the decline that we're going to might have to expect this year with Jose Iglesias? I think it's pretty fair to think that last year will be the worst season he'll have defensively in his career. Um, But it's also naive to think that he's going to go back to spry 26 year old Jose Iglesias that he had with the Tigers. Um, So you know, I don't, I don't think it will be as bad just because I have enough trust in the track record. Uh, but I, it's it's certainly fair to say that it's on the decline. Um, however, I will say that he's a little bit more of a sure thing with the bat um, than what the existing options were. Um, so that's kind of the benefit. Really, mm. the way that I looked in at, at this heading into the offseason, 
Jose Iglesias, Andrelton Simmons, Freddie Galvis, maybe Jonathan VR. Take your pick. Everybody can have their preference and their guy, but the Rockies needed somebody there for at least next year. And it's funny because I wrote about it in December. This ends a string of 17 straight seasons where a homegrown player has had the most games at shortstop for the Rockies. Um, Royce Clayton was the one who did it in 2004, and that was the last time. And he was the stopgap from Nafi Perez to Clint Barmas. So this is just something where we're not used to it, um, but it had to be somebody. So Iglesias is fine enough. I don't think that Tovar is going to be ready in a year. So they might have this uh, same conversation again next season. But for now, it had to happen. I'm glad they did something about it instead of just rolling Ryan McMahon out there because that was absolutely the worst option and the one I hated most. So I'm just glad that's not a reality. <laughs> so, so Justin, with the defense and everything, and I like how Kenneth mentioned, what is it about Iglesias' bat that you hope to see this season with the Rockies, especially Bud Black said he's probably going to bat in the nine hole, uh, maybe be that second leadoff guy at the bottom of the lineup. What do you hope to see from him offensively this season? Because he's not going to be Trevor Story. Sure. No, I hear you there. And I think it's interesting, too. I mean, I shadow everything that Kenneth says. I think that's a very good perspective to have on it. You know, you're giving him a little bit of boost of confidence, realizing that he is going to have that course Field edge. And especially as, you know, if we kind of say there's two ways to look at his defense as far as is he aging and declining or did he just have a tough year? So if it is the event that he is kind of aging, which, you know, he's kind of hitting that period of time where you're respectfully your your peak years could easily be behind you at this point in time but we're starting to see maybe that course field balance is going to at least bring a little bit of extra life out of his bat to where it can I guess prorate against what that aging process could potentially do and in the event that it actually was let's say if it's a bad psychological perspective of you lose your touch for fielding for a little bit that can be pretty demoralizing in a very short period of time and then you're able to hit the reset button over a full off season, get back to some basic details of, I can actually assess this from the ground up and build myself back up again. He gets to build himself back up after this winter, but he's also got the luxury of realizing that any one of his batted balls are going to be carrying a lot further. So mm-hmm. I think that it's very difficult to expect that he's going to be any more than what essentially any of us see him right now. But I think another very cool side of this is you know, that position hasn't been open for Brendan Rodgers yet. And it's, I mean, it's been a logjam all the way through. And I understand, you know, how quickly we seem to forget about what Brendan Rodgers was supposed to be for this organization. And now all of a sudden, talk about, you know, a new perspective for a guy like Iglesias. We have a brand new perspective for Brendan Rodgers to where there's suddenly a hole there that he could potentially work his way into and actually get some action for it. So, I also think this is a very good time, and I don't mean to go too far away from the Iglesias discussion. I think this is great for the Universal DH to come through right now, recognizing Mm -hmm. that there is a lot more luxuries that the Rockies can take, and there's a lot more opportunities in the lineup to get these guys through. So realizing that Iglesias can be that defensive anchor, assuming that he gets back to... I know when the Tigers were making some World Series runs about 10 years ago, that was the defensive piece that Jim Leland went after to make sure that he was serving as the positional anchor that they really needed at that point in time. And I don't think the bat has ever really been the highlight or the forte at this point, but it's nice to know that it's definitely not going to be diminished realizing he's got that altitude going for him. And I'm hopeful that's going to at least create a positive switch that we'll be able to see some good stuff out of him. Yeah. And so 
I want to play devil's advocate now. Uh, worst case scenario, maybe we get through April, early days of May, or halfway through May. His defense has just been atrocious. He's hitting under 200. Uh, just strikeouts galore. Just no success. Or he gets injured, something. Where do the Rockies turn if Jose Iglesias just doesn't pan out this season the way they want to in the early goings? Uh, because looks like they have a couple options here in spring training, non-roster guys. Kyle Holder. Uh, they've got Tim Lopes, who's utility guy all over. We've got Garrett Hampson. Uh, and minor, who would step up? Who's next in place should something happen with Jose Iglesias? that the Rockies find, hey, we need a shortstop now. I've got to say, it would. if you're going through people who are currently on that big league roster, the job immediately goes to Garrett Hampson. Mm. Or you switch Brendan Rodgers over to shortstop and Hampson plays second base. For people who are on the current the current roster that you think of, like who, who's probably going to be on our, our 26 man, it's got to be one of those two. Uh, if we're looking at minor leaguers, I personally would say that Alan Trejo would probably be the next man up. He, at the big league level, didn't really get a lot of time to prove himself last year and really wow anybody. But he's done enough at the at the minor league level, especially in AAA, that there's not really a whole lot more he can do to prove himself down with the isotopes. Uh, Kyle Holder, I don't think, is ready for big league ball. Um, just yet, especially after you know not really playing that much over the last couple seasons, it it's tricky. We we don't have a lot of shortstop depth um, organizationally. Tim Lopes is definitely an option, though I would probably put him at second base and and then slide Brennan Rodgers over or something like that. If Hampton is say the starting center fielder and stays in center field. But that's that's sort of where I'm feeling things out right now. Alan Trejo? I love Alan Trejo. And I know that I'm probably biased, but I really do think that of the available options, if we are set in stone on not moving Garrett Hampson or Brendan Rodgers to shortstop, Alan Trejo has got to be the next man up in terms of shortstop reps. Right on. What do we they, think, they uh, Pebble really... Report guys? They haven't really left you know, themselves I think a lot that, of options. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I this is a short analysis. I'll turn it right back over to you. But, short you know, analysis. you always – the Rockies went out and we picked up Rio Ruiz just on like a flyer. And there's always going to be a guy like that that you can truly go and pick up that's probably going to be your replacement level guy that you can't expect a whole lot of special stuff to be out of. But – I think it's it's too easy to look within your own organization and you realize that you want the developmental sense. But assuming you need a placeholder, I think that they're a lot more readily available than we might think to be able to bridge the gap from where we need to be versus where we currently are. And that's not to say that somebody batting a buck 20 is going to be a substantial replacement. But at the same time, you know, there's going to be an option there. And this is typically when you see somebody get DFA'd and then get picked up right back around. If it ends up being a crisis situation, I realize that's not ideally what you want to turn around, but I think that there's at least some kind of comfort realizing that it might not be as desolate as we think just because it could end up being somebody that we don't even know that happens to fill that spot. Yeah, no, I I agree completely, and I think 
that this is where you could start having the fun in your head of potential targets that the Rockies could go for that are not currently in the organization. Um, because, I mean, these guys shift from team to team every year. There's not one season that goes by where there's not somebody taking a flyer on a middle infielder. Um, and so, you know, hopefully it pans out and you don't have to worry about the problem. The Rockies have left themselves in an unfortunate position where their side from Alan Trejo is not much behind them unless they strike lightning in a bottle and Kyle Holder figures it out. Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe they are able in my perfect world, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. The excessive outfield depth that they have right now, they can sell some of that for middle infield depth, which mm. is what they're currently lacking. Mm. And so when I look at like Kansas City, and this is going to require more than just what's on the surface, but uh, Adalberto Mondesi has a lot of pressure behind him. He's already been moved off the position from Nicky Lopez. Nicky Lopez is sweet, but Bobby Witt Jr. is pretty sweeter. So there's starting to be no real space for somebody like that. But they don't have, you know, they're they're trying the Michael A. Taylor experiment still <laughs> in the outfield. So, you know, maybe there is something that could come from that. But as of right now, the Rockies are kind of in a position of Iglesias or bust. And that's a bet of their own making. So... Yeah, it's honestly if they knew that they were doing this Bryant signing and we've got this huge um, the glut of outfielders is they probably should have traded for a middle infielder or something Mm. before signing Chris Bryant and before signing Jose Iglesias. Well, at the very least, this is what makes the tender deadline before the lockout so perplexing. Yeah, because you looked at it and you're like, okay, I mean, this is kind of a, a stuck in the mud roster. But Ramel Tapia was a ground ball machine last year, and he's about to be a $4 million possible ground ball machine again this year. Uh, you can look at some of the relievers and kind of, you know, be ho-hum about it. So they they could have just planned better. That's all there is. What, the Rockies the planning Rockies. better? Brother, I don't I don't believe that, brother. No, there's no way. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't do that. Nah. <laughs> you must be new. All love, but nah. <laughs> Organization X could have planned better. <laughs> Remove the name, and I think yeah, there you believe go. A lot more. There you go. <laughs> but but I, I like that it's the lack of planning because I like mentioned they had such a history of having a homegrown shortstop there, uh, but now they find themselves they don't really have a big league ready shortstop to kind of fill in the shoes of the guy departing. They lucked out. They had Trevor Story after Tulowitzki. Who do they have after story? Nobody's quite ready yet, or they don't have somebody that can really bust out in the same camp. It's supposed to be Rodgers. Yeah, yeah. it's supposed to be Rodgers. Now he's playing second base. Mm-hmm. So it is a bit of their own making. So I think that's something that's going to be interesting to see this season oh, and see here in spring training the guys that are there getting those reps at short. You know, who Who's going to be the backup to Jose Iglesias if he – if something happens to him or he just doesn't pan out. So it's going to be interesting position battle or position spot to look at as we get ready for the 2022 season. Last thing I want to add real quick too. Can we talk about just how insane Jose Iglesias' 2020 was? Because it was only 40 games and obviously it was the pro-rated season. But uh, he has a career 700 OPS on the nose. His OPS in 2020 for Baltimore was 956. <laughs> he put up like a 373, 400, 550 
triple slash mm. line. It was out of complete nowhere. So if that guy shows up yeah. in the first month of the season, we don't care. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> um, well, it's the same as that That same Jose Iglesias kind of reared his head when he went over to Boston, mm-hmm. where in 23 games he slashed 356, 406, 508 with, uh, with a 915 OPS. Oh. So it's like, if we get that Jose Iglesias, no yeah. complaints. He could drop he as many play balls defense as, as bad as he wants. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's going to be an interesting spot to watch. Uh, another one that's going to be super interesting to watch. We lose John Gray. Ugh. The Rockies go out and out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting them to get a starting pitcher. They go out and get Chad Cool, former Pittsburgh Pirate. They sign him to a one-year deal, roughly around three million with performance incentives. Uh, but it looks like he might be slated in with the inside track of getting that fifth starting rotation spot, a spot that we assumed was going to go to like Peter Lambert, Ryan Rollison, you know, Ryan Feltner, that kind of group. We thought they were going to go homegrown. They go for a free agent. Uh, did this move surprise anybody? Uh, what's your guys' take on the, on this signing? You know, I want to jump in here really quick saying I think it's unbelievable to see how much just the debut of Ryan Rollison seems God, to just get pushed that off the, the board truth. continually. That nobody nobody has got out of the way of the guy. And I think that it's almost to the point that you're really disrespecting him as far as, you know, he faces appendicitis. You can't do anything about it. It is what it is. He ends up having to pass on what would have been his debut last September. 2020, he was toyed at maybe being a reliever to give the Rockies a little bit of left-handed help that they were looking for in the expanded postseason year of 2020. And now all of a sudden... We're bringing him in. We're bringing in an additional. We got Ty Block now that might even be in AAA just to make that rotation. I mean, that's also a pretty cool signing to give some security. But like, where is the trust in your own guy? This has been your. This is your number three prospect right now, and you just continually to put him back on the shelf. So that's something that I think to myself: How far are we from him being big league ready? I understand that you want to be delicate because he missed such a big chunk of last season. And I understand the same thing for Peter Lambert. So that's part of it. I think that this can be justified recognizing that, you know, you got Lambert coming back from Tommy John. You got Rollison coming back from appendicitis. That was substantial time that's been missed over the last year plus. So my hope is that was the motive involved. But at the same time, let's say Chad Cool starts actually throwing really well. Let's say Ty Block is going to be the next man up in AAA. That is not necessarily going to bode well for, you know, like we mentioned, the latter half of the Chris Bryant contract when we just end up. We're prioritizing the older, more seasoned guys that might be riding a hot hand, but we're not incentivizing the younger guys to start being where they need to be. I think the Rockies have the reason to play a little bit of a long game as far as three to four to five years is going to be that sweet spot. And it's not to say these guys are getting in the way because this could end up being a really good thing, but I'm hopeful that there's going to be a degree in trust of... Ryan Rallison, Peter Lambert, a lot more guys behind them that I'm hopeful that there's going to be at least a little bit of a clearing and I'm hopeful they'll at least be able to be confident when their time actually does come that that window clears up a little bit. Well, it's interesting in that you brought up the reliever aspects for, for Rollison because it's been, it's been coming out over the last week that they're considering him making, if he makes the roster of being like a long relief or middle relief guy. And this is, uh, uh, this is a player who's never been a bullpen pitcher in his entire professional career. He made like one bullpen appearance, I think in the playoffs when he was with Ole Miss, but his entire college career outside of that, 
he's a starter. His entire professional career, he's a starter. We have a wide open number five rotation spot, and we bring in Chad Cool, and now all of a sudden our top starting pitching prospect is going to be a long reliever or middle reliever. And I think that's sort of inherently ridiculous because I like Chad Cool. I actually really like the signing, but you, I think it is a, a matter of, of disrespect towards Rawlison of he, it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And now all of a sudden they're talking about him being a long reliever, middle reliever when like for things that were really out of his control is why he didn't make his debut last year. And now he's got this perfect opportunity to, to make the roster as the number five starter. And there's a, a strong shot that that just doesn't happen for him because we brought in Chad cool. You know, I do want to jump in as far as that reliever side. We saw with Jose Mejica how dismal that was when we decided to throw him in the bullpen in 2020, and I definitely don't want that to be a Ryan Rollison type of story. So that's my kind of fear if that actually if that's the way he cracks into the big leagues. If you told me at the start of this offseason that like the Rockies were going to do something with their lineup and something with the bullpen, whatever, but if you just told me we know for a fact that they're not going to touch their starting rotation on April 4th, they'd be playing against the Dodgers with you know, Freeland, Marquez, Sensatella, Gomber, and Rollison. I have no issues with that. I have no issues with that. That's a perfectly fine big league rotation at this point. And, you know, the losing John Gray obviously hurt a lot, but like those five guys, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong here, but like those five guys are a perfectly serviceable big league pitching rotation for like, I would say, half of major league teams. And maybe that's putting me that maybe it's me putting a lot of stock into those guys. But like, I I think Justin couldn't have said it any better, man. I I get the you know I looked at the metrics of Chad Cool and like yeah he probably does you know look like a kind of pitcher that would do well at Coors Field or reasonably well. But like man, you nailed it. Like when is Rollison going to get his shot? Like it's time. Like it's just for me personally. The Pebble Report guys can speak a lot more to this obviously because they follow a lot more closely than I do. But like. I think Ryan Rollison has proven it, man. He looked great last year's spring training, right? The, my first year on the Purple Road beat, I really started watching all these spring training games more often. I said, man, this Rollison curveball is the truth, man. Like, that is a nasty pitch, and it's going to it's gonna work at the big league level. And you know, I think that they have really kind of, you know, like you said, like they've really kind of given this guy the runaround, and I, I worry that a pitcher who could really be a plus starter at the major league level which has been the whole resurgence of the rockies right that's been their whole change in identity the freelands and the grays and the marquezes and the sensatellas it's been those homegrown pitchers that oh wait they actually can pitch well at altitude they can be you know potential all-stars like this is another guy who could be on that track and for whatever reason they just do not want to give him a shot um so I, I think Justin nailed it, man. I want to see Rollison. No hate to Chad Cool. I'm not trying to come down to the guy. I'm sure he's going to do fine. He's an innings eater. He's been around the league for a while. I get all that. But I, I, I am 100% with Justin, man. I want to see Ryan Rollison in that rotation this year. And I certainly don't want to see him coming out of the fifth or sixth or seventh inning. No way. <laughs> and it's fascinating how the Rockies keep doing this to their prospects. 
of right when it's time for them to be pushing for their big league debut, they find the perfect way to block them. They did it with Colton Welker. They did it with Rymel Tapia. They did it with Brendan Rodgers and Daniel Murphy, most infamously, where they signed Daniel Murphy when the plan for letting DJ LeMahieu walk was, all right, it's time for Brendan Rodgers to really show he's ready to go. And yeah, Rodgers had his injury issues. But even before then, they bafflingly blocked him. And now they are blocking Ryan Rollison with Chad Cool. And they just, they keep doing this where they have all of these top rated prospects within the organization, Ryan Vallade, Colton Welker, Brendan Rogers, et cetera, et cetera. And they bring in a veteran and block them immediately and contribute to the log gym. And they just keep doing it. And I don't know why. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, cause I like the thought process that I'm seeing in these decisions a lot more than I even do on the position player side. But from what I've seen from the Rockies in the past, I agree that Ryan or Ryan Rollison on a sentimental level is the one that we want to see in that fifth starter spot. And I think that the Rockies want to see him in that spot, but they're giving themselves a lot more options and they've had a really bad habit of not doing that in the past. I don't know about you guys, but I feel way better about Ryan Rollison, Ryan Feltner, Peter Lambert and Chad Cool waiting in the wings as our pitching depth rather than Derek Rodriguez, Ryan Castellani, and Chichi Gonzalez. And that was the world we've been living in for the past two to three years. So, you know, Rollison had just a lost year last year. And I think that they're being a little cautious and not just trying to throw him into the fire from the get-go. They're leaving themselves options if Rollison, and I believe that they feel just as highly about Peter Lambert as they do Ryan Rollis personally, but if their guy doesn't cut it, they have two, three, four guys competing next to him that they can fall back on a little bit more safely than just going out and having the Chi-Chi start that we just watched way too many of <laughs> for two years. And the last thing that I'll point out on the discussion with Rollison, the Rockies have been very antiquated in their usage of starters, and they really don't toy around with the idea of getting your feet wet in the bullpen. And I think that it's a perfect combination of Ben Bowden might not be working out, and it's been showing that way for a while. Lucas Gilbreth was a stud last year, and so he solidified himself as that lefty out of the pen, but having that second lefty can make a big difference. And if they're able to incorporate Ryan Rollison as a big league pitcher as just a bullpen piece to start, I would like to see them start entertaining that route at the very least, even if the intentions are he's not going to be here long. I see a lot of success records with other teams. The White Sox specifically stand out in my mind um, for this of, hey, make them a big league pitcher and then graduate them into the rotation. Let's, you know, if they are not afraid of going that route with Rollison, I have no problem with that. But overall, there is a lot more pitching depth now than we've had for quite a few seasons. And so sure. I do appreciate that direction that they've chosen. You know, I like that it seems like there's something that was learned after signing Yoli Chassin a day before the season got started last year. Mm-hmm. We put him in for early season starts, and that was our emergency fifth starter. I realized that it was intended that he was going to be long relief at the beginning. He finds his way into the rotation before ultimately being kind of a setup guy. So I understand in a perfect world, Ryan Castellani would have had a good spring training last year, and he would have been that fifth anchor. But 
it's nice to see that it seems like from an organiz or like an organizational standpoint, something was clearly learned that they've developed themselves a little bit more margin for error. You know, yes, it's going to cost you a 40 man roster spot, but at the same time, that's going to give you a lot of security that you need. So I think there are two ways to look at it. You know, yes, it is the log jam. And Evan, you bring up a perfect point talking about it. There's so they're finding a way to block some guys that ultimately could deserve probably being secure. Like I could only imagine for Ryan Rollison to know that his organization believes in him. That could be the difference between him really succeeding early in his career but at the same time recognizing that you're very much protecting your assets and you're not going to run yourself into a brick wall like you ultimately kind of can fear when it ends up being your emergency fifth starter is a guy that comes into town the day before opening day last year so something was learned maybe it isn't necessarily ideal but it also never is ideal and that's the tough part especially when you look at front office decision making there is always going to be a give or take especially on types of situations like this so it's nice that there is a little bit of security and at the same time recognizing that's been a very source of instability for the Rockies for many years. It's nice that there's at least a degree of comfort there and we can breathe a little bit easier, which given the fact that there's a lot of concern and a lot of unknowing as far as where that rotation can go with the loss of John Gray, I think that's exactly what this team could use And right what's now. nice, we saw a lot with this offseason, uh, they built up, even Justin wrote an article about this, that AAA rotation pitching depth is pretty thin. And that's something that they went through. They made a lot of minor league signings during the lockout uh, to build some of that pitching depth, especially right at that AAA level. Uh, you got guys like Zach Lee, Dylan Overton, uh, Ty Block, who I'm personally rooting for. Uh, a lot of those guys to kind of build up that depth at starter. Worst case scenario, you have some guys that you can at least rely on, bring up along with your in-house prospects uh, to make maybe a couple of spot starts. And then you drop him and Zach Roska all of a sudden is back with the team somehow. So <laughs> he finds a way back. He's like that stray cat. He'll find his way back. He's with the Astros now. Yeah, it's him it's him and Ashton Goodell. I was going to say him and Goodell. They always come back. Yeah, but, totally. <laughs> you know, I do agree, I do agree though that it is at, at the very least regardless of everything and feeling that Ralston might be blocked is that there is some legitimate depth now in the rotation where the last couple of years, especially we really did run to that of, uh Oh, somebody's hurt. Now somebody else is hurt. And now we're screwed because we have no starting pitchers anymore and getting way too many Chi Chi Gonzalez starts. I love Chi Chi as a person, but I am very happy that I don't need, I don't see him spot start in a Rockies uniform anymore. And we did um, Ty block in his first spring training game did really, really well. And so did um, Zach Neal, who is, you know, in, in his early 30s and just returning from playing ball in Japan. So uh, I definitely agree that obtaining that depth that we really haven't had in a while is mm -hmm. nice. It just gets frustrating when you keep seeing again and again guys getting blocked. Yeah, and that's just the nature of the game. But at least the Rockies have options uh, yeah. to basically fill in the, the Gr John Gray-shaped hole in our hearts. Uh, it can never be filled. Life it can only be band-aided. It can never truly free be filled, spending so. Texas Rangers. It'll remain. But our gray holes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! So we'll, sad. <laughs> John Gray will never be howling for us again. <laughs> but one last thing now for pitchers, real quick. We did sign another reliever, uh, Alex Colomay. They signed him to a one-year deal, roughly around four point one two million, uh, somewhere in that range. Uh, with 
what sounds like he could have that inside track now to be kind of be slotted in as the closer. Uh, but the Rockies now have three guys in the back of the bullpen in Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bard, who were our closers last year. You now have three guys in the mix, all right-handers, who can be seen closing out ball games in 2022. Do you want to see Alex Colme getting the majority of the saves, or do you just – what's your thoughts on this move? Alex Colme has been a closer for the majority of his career, and – I think he is an, just on paper at least, an immediate improvement as a potential closer over what we have had. But I do also appreciate that um, he's been flexible. He straight up said, it's like, I'm a closer, it's what I do, but if Buddy Black says that he needs me to do something else, I will do something else. And I think that's great, and it's especially good to at least have an extra option there, especially with it looks like Scott Oberg is probably not going to play again this season in order to make room on the 40-man for Alex Colomay. He got moved to the 60-man, sorry, 60-day injured list. Um but I would say going into spring training, you've got to consider that Alex Colomay is going to be the closer. What are your thoughts on that, Justin? You know, I think about one thing that just kind of baffles me is Daniel Bard is getting more money than Colomay is. <laughs> and, I mean, this is this is something that I, I just I don't understand. And, I mean, I love Daniel Bard with for the best of them, but... Colomay clearly has more experience. Daniel Bard was not pitching in the big leagues for seven years. And, I mean, a great comeback story. This is a huge situation. But, you know, he lost the closer job. He just outright lost it to Estevez. And then we decided to fork over four-plus million dollars for a setup guy. And I'm not trying to say that that's dismal. I mean, he's he's great, and you've got a guy that's willing to throw 100-mile-an-hour fastballs at altitude. But... At the same time, just what's the justification of, I mean, across the board, his XFIP, his FIP, his ERA, his figures collectively are worse than what Colomay has. And for some reason, we're forking over more money for him. So that's something that I think is, I, I, I really try to put the shoe on the other foot and I try to justify this and I just, I can't really see it. So maybe this is the asking price for Bard being as old as he is. Colomay is also pretty much a seasoned dude at this point. So he's got a lot of experience under his belt as well. So... Everything aside financially, you know, it's the game is played on the field ultimately at this point, and let's just call it what it is. The Rockies haven't made great investments in the bullpen over the last five years, but I'm pleased to see that there's at least an anchor here, and there's another option. This is going to be very volatile. This is going to be a lot less predictable than pretty much anything on the Rockies' front right now, and this is just the nature of the way bullpen signings go for anybody not named Mariano, that is. But I'm I'm curious to watch it, and I think that, you know, he's got a pitch mix that plays favorable. He throws cutters and fastballs. Like, he throws two pitches. And it's going to be fun to see the pitch mixes really contrast because, you know, we've got the big sweeping slider that Daniel Bard's got paired with the 90 miles an hour. We've got a mix with Estevez where he's able to work in triple digits as well and a very altitude-friendly mix, in my opinion. And then we've got Colome coming in. You know, Colome... If that is the A-list 7, 8, and 9, we have a very contrasting pitch mix that's going to be... I think it has a lot of upside recognizing no matter where you ultimately put those guys in there, you're going to see one time through the lineup, and then you're going to see a different pitcher that still has some lights-out stuff that's used to you know burning it out for an inning and making it happen. So everything financially aside about Daniel Bard making more money, 
I put an article together about this on Purple Row, and I didn't see the signing information at the time. It wasn't released because I think he hadn't reported to Salt River and they weren't allowed to formally, maybe he hadn't put the pen to the paper at that point. So the figure wasn't disclosed. And I'm writing this article with the full impression that he's going to make more money than Bard is. And I was just shell-shocked two or three years, like two or three days later. I had people tweeting me going, like, is this is this for real? Do we not know? I'm like, yeah, it isn't, but I'm... There's no way he's going to make less money than Bard. And then he is. So that's the one thing. I mean, I don't have much more of an analysis on that. I mean, you can look at figures or read the article and that'll cover it. But, you know, the pitch mix alone, I think that is a big upside on this. And I think that there's something to be said about, you know, there's a different blueprint for all three of them. They're putting something on the canvas that the other two can't do. So there's something that's going to be pretty cool about that. And I like to see a little bit of variety in those late innings. I think that'll create a good amount of imbalance. And I think that's... A little bit more of a projectable upside as opposed to just kind of running together just the available options that you've got. And then we've got a guy named Justin Lawrence that if he cracks it out, we're going to see even more funky stuff going on there. So hopefully in an ideal world, these things pan out for us. I'm a pretty surface level statistics guy. Like, I, you know, I look at earn run average and like strikeouts, innings pitch. So when Justin starts hitting me with the FIPs and the XFIPs, I'm like, oh, God, let me get my phone out. Let me start reading all this stuff. And. Look at what all this means, man. But no, so Colomay is an interesting one because he didn't have that great a season last year, but he was lights out for the White Sox in that 2020 season, which I know was a shorter season. We've talked about that with the Glaces too, but he was lights out. I mean, he was untouchable for that season. Uh, I like it. I think it's a good move. Like Justin said, he's, he's a guy that's been around for a minute. He's got some postseason experience. He's been on really good ball clubs. We'll have to see how his pitches translate at altitude, um, but I think it's a solid uh, pickup for them. You know, I'd like to see another kind of strong lefty in their bullpen, which we talked a little bit too. But yeah, I mean, the Rockies have been burnt by some free agent signings in the bullpen last few seasons. We all know that. I would say the Colony is probably the best signing they've made on paper out of the bullpen in that time frame, other than maybe Wade Davis. And I'd argue in the last couple of seasons, he's almost more effective now than David was Davis was back then. So I'm cool with it. I think it's a good pickup. I'd like to see what he's going to do. And then, like Justin said, I mean, if he if he starts to falter, there's some other options you can go to your Estevezes and your Bards, and you know, there's sort of some backup options after him. It definitely feels like the brewing of a closer by committee. Mm. Um, honestly, like you know, I, I get Colomay's track record, and I get that he has a lot of saves over his big league career, um, <clears throat> but that's not really been his role. Um, in the past two seasons, um, you know, he's kind of had a little bit more shared responsibility. And I think that that's also the mentality that most major league teams have adopted and the Rockies are just slow to do so. And I mean, that's nothing new. Um, so between just the veterans of Estevez, Bard and Colome, um, <clears throat> I think it starts there. Personally, I think Justin really started touching on it. There's a few younger arms that the Rockies have in their bullpen, like a Robert Stevenson, like a Justin Lawrence. Maybe you look at Gilbreth that highly. I don't know. Fernandez just throws a billion miles an hour, so that's always fun. That maybe, you know, ends up being the more safe bet as the season goes along. Um, but at the very least, I mean, this was a team that finished fifth worst in both ERA and FIP of all major league teams last year out of the bullpen. So they couldn't do nothing. Heading into the season, there had to be something done, some some way, shape, or form. I don't know if if Colome is necessarily the answer. I think that 
he, along with a lot of other free agent relievers, are just a coin flip chance that that the team is taking. Um, it could be great. You know, I, I do agree that I think it offers a little bit of diversity um, between Bard, um, Estevez, and and Colomay. I don't know if it's going to work out. I can't say, I, you know, I'm mostly just indifferent on whether or not this is going to be the guy. But I think overall they're going to have to kind of go through the rotation and, and with the hot hand, that's what makes the most sense to me. Yeah, and I I think that's definitely what Bud Black will probably, you know, ride along because none none of the three have any, you know, financial incentives towards games closed or anything. So Bud mm. Black can deploy him any way he can. Um, so it might be working towards splits. You know, maybe we see Lucas Gilbreth coming in and get some closing if you got three lefties coming up because I'm not sending Daniel Bard out there to face yeah, yeah. Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber and some other guy totally. you know, in the bottom of the ninth with the game on the line. You know, so he, he might ride the hot hand. So there's definitely options. The Rockies bullpen's the one to really look at. There's a lot of young arms. There's some guys that they brought brought in on minor league deals. J.D. Hammer is back with the Rockies. Uh, on a minor league deal, so th- there's options for them, so and younger guys. So the column A deal at least gives them veteran presence that they can rely on now, and he can also be that mentoring role, kind of like Daniel Bard is getting uh, right now. So closing and and that bullpen. As much as we love the Rockies bullpen, it's hopefully we see some more improvement there. Uh, kind of like we did at the end of last season. Watch Ryan but, Rollison become this like lights out closer by the end of the season. Like they're just like throw him out yeah. there in the ninth inning, man. He he's gonna <laughs> shut him down. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Wayne Wright. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Wayne Wright. The only the only one that I am firmly a no on is Tyler Kinley. Yes, that's my only firm <laughs> yeah. no at this point. I can dig that. <laughs> yeah, it's we have an interesting mix because we have four veterans four pretty much rookies, and then Bob Steve. So the veterans you've got, Chasim Colomay, uh, Bard, and Estevez, who all have like a really eclectic pitch mix. And then you have the rookies with um, Gilbreth and Sheffield and Lawrence and uh, Julian Fernandez, who are all super different pitchers. And then it's sort of in the middle there, you got Bob Steve, Robert Stevenson, who's also like <laughs> totally his own guy. So I really, I really like that there's a lot of diversity in the bullpen. Yeah, it, I think that's that's one of the best things. Uh, a, a big thing that we've talked a lot about is just that depth, uh, and that's something the Rockies have struggled with, and you can see them try to make some moves, whether it's <laughs> creating their own log jam uh, intentionally and unintentionally, but also you can see in some of these other areas where they realize, yeah, we need to build up some depth, at least some ready depth, because like we mentioned, this is a very bottom-heavy minor league system. Uh, so, and we're a couple years off from some of those big guys making their debut and being the future of the Rockies. So they got to bridge the gap somewhere. And luckily we're seeing some of that now. Uh, and that's kind of the fun stuff here in spring training. Running out of time here, but one last thing really, really quick. Mentioned it before. Who do you want playing center field opening day against the Dodgers? Sam Hilliard. There <laughs> There's mine. <laughs> Hillier to hand. Ladies and gentlemen, this is being affected by Alton's podcast. There it is. <laughs> no, I would second that. You know, I think the firepower that he could put together, I think it'd be cool to see him with an opportunity to be an everyday guy 
And, you know, at the very least, putting his bat in the mix as a designated hitter, I think, could bring a lot of success for it. So, I mean, I would like to see him as well. Fortunately, you know, just like Evan mentions, we have about eight outfielders that we could put into a mix right now. That DH spot is going to give us some extra yeah. luxuries. But as far as an everyday guy, whether it be DH or whether it be center field, I'd like to see Hilliard 100%. out there myself. 100%. Yep, yeah, Hilliard would be my guy. He offers the most upside. That is if they don't trade for Ramon Laureano. Because <laughs> I would. <laughs> well, he, oh, that's timeline. He's still on suspension, so they'd still need a center fielder for a little while. I'll play, and then he comes back, and he takes over center field. Kenneth, go hold it down out there. I can dig that. Now, Hilliard, Hilliard offers the most upside of anybody on the current <laughs> roster, and if it all clicks for him, that's a really good piece, and I think he can man center field very Definitely. well. Too. So, my pick Definitely. Is what do you think, Evan? Hilliard. Yeah. I, I agree. He's got the most upside. He's got the, the, the effortless power mm-hmm. swing. He's got speed, defensively sound. Like Hilliard's got the most. I love Garrett Hampson, and if he's going to be playing a lot in center field, awesome. But Hilliard, I think, has the most potential for being the starting center fielder. Yeah, I'm in that same boat. I'd love to see Hilliard out there, especially look at the way the Rockies lineup is going to be like. Um, one through nine is it's a little bit extended lineup. You got some good bats in there, so you can kind of afford to let him pull a 2009 Carlos Gonzalez to <laughs> stick him in the lineup and just yep. let him figure it out get every day at bats, and I I firmly believe Sam Hilliard yep. would figure it out. So I, we're unanimous on that, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they how they fix that depth, that log jam. But that's going to do it here for this edition of our big crossover episode with Affected by Altitude and the Pebble Report podcast. Uh, appreciate all you guys joining us here and everyone listening in. Uh, Kenneth, where can the people find you? I'm on Twitter at KDub1988. Yeah, what do the people need to know? Anything you're working on that you'd like the people to know about? Uh, no, article just dropped on Saturday. Um, you'll always see my rock piles out there. Just had a little bit of tidbits on the uh, Chris Bryant signing. And then if you're into local baseball, come check out Thomas Jefferson. I mean, yes, I'm searching over there, and yes, sir. Uh, I always, always want to support local baseball, so got to give my TJ plug. <laughs> Dig it, Mac. Where can our homies find you? Uh, hit me up at Cormac Battle Pro, which is at C O R M A C Battle Pro. As always, talk to me about baseball, talk to me about wrestling, talk to me about uh, your favorite games and all that, all that good stuff, man. Always down for a chat. <laughs> Destiny. <laughs> Destiny slaps. Destiny goes crazy. <laughs> how about you justin where can the people find you and when can we expect the next episode of the pebble report podcast there we go absolutely (laughs) i am twitter at just wick just how it sounds eight characters right there um pebble report you know big shout out to my guy k-dub kenneth weber and i holding down the fort over there it's a whole lot of fun that we're able to put some great stuff together just did an episode with the crew over at blake street banter so i want to give them a shout out as well they've got some great content coming together so, only other plug I got, my current duties. I am a resident of Phoenix, Arizona, and my current job is I am the ballpark coordinator over at Sloan Park, which is the spring training home of the Chicago He's Cubs. running the show. 
So a little bit of a crossover going on. That's right. I know I, my Rockies ties are taking a hit right here, but we do have a spring training showdown coming up this Friday. Rockies are going to visit the Cubs over at the ballpark that I'm at. So very excited to see the media crew coming around there. Very excited to see just all of the good baseball that we've got down in Arizona. So I do want to give a quick plug. Kenneth was talking about Thomas Jefferson. They've got a promotion guard, a promotion. They've got a fundraiser going on. They're selling a bunch of hats in a push to get a new scoreboard over at their ballpark. Wow. It's a great field, you know, again, supporting local baseball in Colorado. Such a great scene that we have out there. I always enjoyed playing at Thomas Jefferson's field. So always, you know, awesome hat too, by the way, you know, big time stuff that you got to get on. Get, get yourself a little hat cover right One there. So anyways, there you go. So anyways, always a privilege with you guys. Seriously, thank you guys for putting this together. It's great that we've got such great counterparts and two really strong podcasts here on the Purple Row Crew. And, you know, you guys are welcome over on the Pebble Report side anytime. Let's Dang make it, it happen. Uh, I ran out of options. I can't go down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's, That's good. Crazy. I like Evan, it. I where can our homies find good. you? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so you can find me at, at Evan uh, underscore Lang27. You can also check us out on the official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. Um, catch my writing on a purple row. I'm always having a great time putting out content for y'all. Um, really appreciate uh, those who, who leave feedback and really engage with my work. Justin, Kenneth, it's been awesome having you on here. Always, always a fan to work with you too. It's been our pleasure, man. Been Likewise, man. Thank you. Skylar, where can people fire you, man? So you can find me over on Twitter at at sideline underscore crowd, and I've always got my Sunday rock piles coming up. Sometimes it's something goofy, sometimes it's something serious, and sometimes it's something in between. But, again, it's always fun. And, again, we thank you so much for joining us here on whatever we decide to call this crossover podcast. We haven't decided on a name yet. But, again, thank you so much, all of you, for joining us here great insight appreciate all the work that you do and we'll see you next time here on the purple rope podcast network so we'll see you next time mac hit him with it come to opening day fist farewell and that's it that was awesome